This is Daniel Self, lead pastor of the Orchard Church, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. Afterwards, if you would like and subscribe, or if you want more information on The Orchard or to support this ministry, find us at theorchardlife.com. Now know that we are praying for you today, that God would speak to you, and you would have a breakthrough. Welcome. So glad you guys are here this morning. It is good to be back from vacation, and Operation Christmas Child is something that we do here, and we do it big. And the reason is not because we're just sending gifts around the world. It's because God uses that ministry. Every, I think it was every 20 seconds, another child comes to Jesus through the Operation Christmas Child Global Initiative. And so, Orchard, let's step into this. This year, uh, go get your boxes and, and pick specifically like the, the age and the gender you want and then pray and ask God, what would you put in there in those boxes so that, that child can have not only a fun and practical gift, but also as you put maybe your name and address, email in there, uh, you might have correspondence and a, a further connection with, with what God's doing in that kid's life. So I want to encourage you guys to jump all in on Operation Christmas Child. Well, I am back, and we are back in our Exodus series, and last time I spoke, we were talking about the Ten Commandments, right? And I asked you to name all ten, and can you name them all yet? Have you gone over and, and memorized them? Yeah, there's always those, those couple, oh yeah, that one, I forgot about that one. God helps those who helps themselves, I forgot about that one, and um, let go and let God, they're in there, right? Well, we're going to go through the Ten Commandments and see what they say and what they don't say. And just to start off, we started with the big epic commands of this. You must not have any other God but me, and you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind. And these first commandments right here off the bat, they reminded us of what God is doing here at Mount Sinai with his people. Remember, he rescued them out of slavery. He brought them out of Egypt, and he led them to Mount Sinai to give them something. He led them here. He's going to keep them there for a year to do something. What's he doing? What's he giving them? Remember, these are generational slaves. They have been in slavery for 400 years, generation after generation after generation. Do you know what happens when you're in generational slavery? You lose identity. You lose culture. You lose self-worth. You lose your understanding of your place in the world, and they've been beaten into submission, and how they view themselves, how they view authority, and how they view God needs a change. God set them free from physical bondage, but there was still a lot of work to do in their character and in their maturity. And this is true for us to remember. God may have saved you and brought you to salvation at some point, but there is a lot of character change and development and holiness and things that matter to God that he wants to continue to work into your life. And so God brings them to, the, to Mount Sinai and begins to reveal something to them. And we call it the Ten Commandments, and we, we kind of take them out of the story and put them up in, in courthouses or in our, our houses or whatever. But, but there's something bigger than that going on here. This is a covenant. These Ten Commandments, as God takes, us, takes them through it, it's going to give them something amazing. Identity. He's going to tell them, here is who you are, and here is how you should live. Here is who I am, and here's how you should live in light of that and because of that. Now, both the Old Testament... And the New Testament, both are built on covenants. We have the Old Testament. It's a covenant, a pledge, a promise, a, a contract that we're looking at here. The New Testament is also a covenant. Both of them are built on covenants. Now, like I said, it's, it's we're two parties into a contract or agreement. It's a promise of exclusive between those two parties. We know that we get this when we look at marriage. It's an exclusive contract. It's meant to be exclusive between two different parties. They, they come together and they pledge their love to one another and they vow, these, these marriage covenant vows, to stay together through sickness and health and I will forsake all others and through riches and through poverty, I will not leave you. That's the covenant. And the Bible is also built on covenants. At Sinai, what we're looking at today is the covenant he gives his people. And on the cross, Jesus, he started a new covenant for his people. So I'm going to apply these things to the Ten Commandments as we look today. Because people often assume, incorrectly, that God brought the people out of slavery, led them all the way through the Sinai, and gave them the Ten Commandments, gave them this book of laws, so that they could follow the law and earn their salvation. But in reality... God has already saved the people he's now talking to. He's brought them out of bondage, and then from the freedom he's given them, he gives them this beautiful covenant. The Ten Commandments are not laws that will save them. 
The saving has been done. Exodus 20 verse 2 says this, I am the Lord your God who rescued you out of the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. And then he starts the, the wedding covenants. You shall have no other gods before me. You see, he didn't say, here's your covenant and, and pursue those. He said, I have saved you, pursue me. And here's how you live in light of that. The commandments were given after the covenant relationship was formed. It's how they're supposed to live in light of that. Now, why does this matter? Because in Jesus, he gives us a new covenant. And there's, a, there's, there's this belief out there that I have to go obey all these things and earn my salvation. I have to go earn it and do it. I have people in my life who go, you know, I'd love to go to church, but I don't know if I can do all the things that you do. I don't know if I can do, obey all those things. I'm like, what things? Like, like there's just this belief, there's all these things we have to do to earn our salvation. But we don't come to Jesus and obey his wishes to be saved. He saves us. He leads us out of slavery. He leads us out of spiritual bondage. And then he gives us a way to live from that salvation. We don't obey Jesus for salvation. We obey Jesus from salvation. And the Ten Commandments, I want to begin to look at them more and more, is God has saved these people. He said, they're my special treasure, and he's pulled them out of this. He's done all these things, even back from the day of Abraham, pulled them out, and then he gives them this law, these commands, and there's, there's going to be more coming throughout Exodus and the books to come, and they're supposed to follow these from their love of God and from the salvation he's given it, not for it. Which brings us to our commandment today. And here's what I'm excited about. It's the most misunderstood of all Ten Commandments. It is absolutely also the most debated of all the Ten Commandments, which is kind of funny. I'm going to read it, okay? I'm going to read it in a real preacher's voice. Ready? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Now, I wanted to go King James on here because I wanted you to read. We get the thou shalt. That's how we oftentimes think of them. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Besides, how often do you get a good taketh in your life? Just now and then you got to have one of those, right? So we shouldn't take the name of our God in vain. It's, it's, again, it's the most misunderstood in all the Ten Commandments. Because if I were to ask you, if I was to sit down with coffee and tell you, like, tell me all you know about this third commandment, most of you would tell me the same thing. You would talk about, you know, well, you just don't say God's name in vain. You don't curse God's name. This, this is a question that's been pondered um, throughout centuries by so many theologians. What does this command mean? The, the leading thought in many cultures is that it refers to not speaking God's name in a curse. We have simplified this third big command down to don't use God's name in profanity. Mothers, mothers cringe when their kids say, OMG, oh my God. And in fact, an entire subculture of swearing has grown out of that to make safe words. Oh my goodness. That's good. Oh my gosh. Did you know the word gosh was first used in 1757 in the English drama? Of course you did. You've studied this as much as I have, right? Um, Then we have replacements for the big GD. Gosh darn it. Galdern. Dagnabbit. And one my eight-year-old daughter uses often, daggum. Those are all spoonerisms, results of words twisted that are resulting from the third commandment. People saying, don't say that, use daggum instead. Okay. Our culture came by this belief honestly, though. Did you know the Hebrew sages from around the first century, they took this, this third command and they opened it up. And they decided that the third command, what it actually meant was that God's name was so sacred, you can't speak it, you can't write it, you can't read it. In fact, when they spell God, they do G underscore D. They don't even write God. God's name is not God, by the way, just in case you were wondering. Um, that they shouldn't write it, speak it. Or, so Yahweh is something you cannot write. In their, in their Tanakh, in their Bible, everywhere it says Yahweh, 600, 6,800-ish times, it doesn't say Yahweh. It will often say Hashem. Everyone say Hashem. Like say it with some, come on, Hashem. <laughs> Clears out the pipes, doesn't it? They say Hashem, which means, you know what Hashem means? It's a word that means the name. So they would read this, you shall not take the name of Hashem in vain. They don't even say it, they don't write it, they don't speak it, they say Hashem. I get why we've done this, it's to keep God's name holy, and again, his name isn't God. And also, because we as people, as humans, we wanna know what to do, right? 
Like, like, have you ever been, like, talking to a lawyer or talking to somebody who's giving you all this stuff? You're like, okay, 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 okay. Just tell me what I can or can't do. Like, I, I get all that stuff, but tell me what I can do or can't do. That's what we've done here. Don't take the Lord's, thou shalt not take the Lord thy God's name in vain. Have you ever stopped and thought about it? What does it mean to take it in vain? Like, what does that mean? We don't know, and so just tell me what not to do. Don't use it in a cuss word. Done. I can do that, or I at least will work to do that, okay? Uh, just tell me what I need to do. Tell me not to curse. That interpretation is one of 23 theories that I could find on what this third commandment means. There's so many ideas of what is happening here. And while I don't believe that you should use God's name as a curse, I don't think that this third commandment is talking specifically about that. I don't. And you're, you are more than welcome to um, disagree with me. That's okay. This commandment doesn't mention anything about speaking, saying, cursing, making oaths. There is another commandment about making oaths, but not this one. And it's so far up. Listen, it says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no idols. Don't cuss my name. And then, like, I mean, like, in the process of the big two above it, like, there's something bigger and richer going on here. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So what does this mean? And more importantly than what did it mean for them, let's be honest, we're not here just to know what it meant for them thousands of years. What does it mean for us today? Like sitting here right now, what can we learn that we will leave differently based on this third commandment, don't use the Lord thy God's name in vain? Let's get into it. The basic translation of this commandment is you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. But in this sentence, the word take is not actually, I would say, what, what the, the author's intent means. Now, there is a mis, the word take or misuse is often what you'll find in your translations. The Hebrew word here is the word nasa. Now, nasa, it's spelled N-A-S-A, nasa, right? Now, here's how to never forget what nasa means. Nasa means lift up. Nasa, lift up. You can pay a lot of money for a seminary and they'll teach you that thing right there. I just gave you for free. Yeah. Nasa means to lift up or to bear. So you should not bear the name of Yahweh in vain. And that just clears it right up for us, doesn't it? Like don't bear the name of Yahweh in your life in vain. Don't lift up the name of Yahweh in vain in your life. You're more confused than before. Just tell me what I can or can't do. Don't cuss. Okay, I got it. I can do that. No, but don't bear the name of Yahweh in vain in your life. What does that have to do with us? You see, Orchard, if we're to lift up the name of Yahweh, if we're to bear the name of Yahweh in our life, what does it mean? And second of all, how do we do that? Now we can see why. Do you see why it was condensed down to this really simple thing? Because we don't get this. Until now, what I would like, until now in your life, hope maybe whatever you thought, just if you would, my hope and prayer for you this week is that you would leave this, or whether you're listening or watching elsewhere, is that after this, you would know exactly what this command means and have a good idea of what it looks like in your life. Because it applies directly to each of us. Now, to look at this, we need to look a little bit at Exodus to get context. Act one, God sees his people in slavery, rescues them, takes them out. We got that. Brings them to Mount Sinai. And for a year, he's gonna keep them there and, and, and give them identity. And in this is a marriage covenant. You will be my special treasure. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. And here's the vows. You shall have no other gods but me. Your beloved, I should, you should have no other body else but your beloved. You should have no other idols. Love God alone. Forsake all others. And number three, you shall bear my name, not in vain. You see, it makes it most sense when you look at this in the, in the context of marriage. I, I do, I've done a lot of weddings, and when I do a wedding, the bride and groom stand up there before God and their family, and they vow to one another their love until death parts them. And at the very end of the wedding, I'll say something like this, based on your profession of love, the declaration of your vows, the giving and receiving of rings, I now pronounce you husband and wife. You may kiss your bride. The big moment, right? But there's one more thing I say that will help put the commandment three in context. Because after they come to the altar, and after they vow together to be in this exclusive relationship, and they make this covenant, I then say, ladies and gentlemen, 
It's my honor to announce for the first time Mr. and Mrs. Smith. You see, they will then leave the covenant place and go out into their lives and somebody's bearing a new name. Somebody is bearing the name based on this covenant for the rest of their life or until the covenant dissolves. Covenant one and two, forsake all others, your beloved alone. Covenant three, bear the name with honor. They're now wed. That couple is now marked. They're now named. Now in the the context of Sinai, they're, they're, they're now marked. They're now named along with God himself. They will bear his name. They go from this point in Exodus um, bearing his name and they're actually told to be his representatives to all the nations. God tells them that. The same way they leave the altar of a wedding and they're now known as something else, they left the altar of Sinai to go represent and be known as something else under a name they now bear. And listen, in, in, in marriage context, how one side behaves and acts, it affects the spouse. This is why, husbands, your wife elbows you when you start saying certain, certain things. Because what you're saying reflects on her, Right? We get this. Like we get, it reflects on the other person. And here in Exodus, moving forward, how they act and speak and behave reflects upon the other covenant party whose name they bear. How you live reflects the name that you bear. So don't take that name in vain. Don't lift up. Don't bear. Don't carry that name in your life in vain. Don't bear the name profanely, but don't carry the name lightly or without regard. If you haven't thought to how you carry the name of God, that's carrying it lightly. Let's repent and carry it the way he intended us to. Because you walk and you live and you give and you love and you work, you parent, you recreate, you party, you vacation, you live your life with his name upon you. You bear his name. So don't bear it in vain. Don't live a life that reflects poorly on the name in which you bear. Don't justify bad or immoral decisions by the name that you bear. And if we're going to be really honest about Christianity, we will say that there have been points in our history and people who bear the name and use the name to wield power and do immoral acts. Don't bear the name. Don't lift up the name. Don't carry the name in vain. Do so with honor by the way you live that reflects well upon the name of the one who you bear it for. The ancient people of Israel here, they're told to go forth and bear God's name to all the nations. And in fact, he tells them this very thing in Deuteronomy 28, verse nine and 10, listen. He says, if you obey these commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, he's gonna establish you as his holy people as he swore he would do. And then, then all the nations of the world will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will stand in awe of you. As you live out your marriage covenant, as you live out the way he's asked you to live, then people will see how you live and they will see that you live under the name of the one you bear and they will be in awe. Verse nine, uphold the covenant. Verse 10, people will see and be amazed. But But what about us? That's them. Thousands of years, different covenant, right? Different covenant than us with Jesus. When Jesus came, he lived and he died and he fulfilled the old covenant. In Hebrews 6, actually, 8, 6, it says, it tells us the New Testament that Jesus came to give us a covenant, a new covenant that far surpasses the old one. So we have a new covenant of grace through Jesus. And anyone who comes to Jesus as Savior, they are part of the new covenant, an exclusive relationship, vow, and pledge agreement. That's us. That's you if you have come to Jesus in faith. And guess what? This new covenant with Jesus, it's also an exclusive one. It's meant to be. It's meant to be love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that you have no other gods. It's meant to be Jesus said, I am the, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no one gets to the Father except for through me. Exclusive. It is exclusive as we have him exclusively in our heart and in our life. Now, does this new covenant that Jesus gave us, does it have a commandment that says we're to bear his name? Literally, no. Am I saying this third covenant that we should bear the name of Jesus in our life should still apply to us? Yes. Yes. You and I are called to bear the name of Jesus in our lives. You are not to bear his name in vain. So again, we should probably know what this means and what it looks like. We are called to carry, to bear, to lift up the name of Jesus 
just like those ancient people were commanded to do or Yahweh back then. And in fact, well, I've mentioned the name, the term Christianity already, Christian. Now, can we admit the word Christian, that title Christian, doesn't always have the best reputation? There have been wars waged in the name of Christianity. There have been great acts of atrocities waged because of that name. There have been abuses, private and public, that have happened in terms of Christianity. So we realize that how Christians act, does it not reflect upon the name of the one we bear? It has, and it still does. You see, after Jesus left the earth, he left the mission, his mission, in the hands of men and women like you and me. And then the flame of Jesus' movement was passed on to his disciples and now passed on to us. And the book of Acts is the story of that first church as it grew and they took the name of Jesus. And look at Acts uh, verse 11. It says this, the disciples were called Christians for the first time there in Antioch. The name Christian was actually a negative term. It was a derogatory term about these Christians. Christian meant little Christ. And it's like, look at these little, look at these people. They're trying to act like little Christs. They're trying to act, oh, just like they're Jesus. They're little Christs. And yeah, we're called to act like him. We're called to love like him, to, to be bold like him, to speak like him. We're called to be Christians, little Christs. And so what started as a derogatory term fit pretty nicely. Christianity itself is literally bearing the name of Jesus, the Christ. Beyond that, baptism, if you've been baptized, that is in many ways a naming ceremony. You are baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's the symbol of your life being buried, being set free, and then raising as a new creation to walk forth in the name you bear because you were baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and now you rise and walk in that name to bear that name. Baptism is important to God. And we bear his name in that. Orchard, how you live, how you live your life reflects upon the name you bear. So don't do it in vain. See, it's a lot different than just not saying a word. The name you bear is important. Listen to what Jesus himself says about this topic in Matthew 5, verse 16. He says, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Like, have good works and deeds that you are out there bearing the name in your life. It, they shine so that when people see you and how you're bearing the name, how you're working and deeding and speaking, when they see that, it reflects and they will praise God. In other words, by the way that you speak and act, people will see him clearly. So bear the name, not in vain. Let God see your good deeds. The way you live your life, the way you give generously, the compassion that you give those in need, the, the peace that you pass along to others, the encouragement you speak to coworkers and those around you, the, the love and the, the way you serve selflessly and lead, all these things, the way we love people, live in that way so that people can see our Father more clearly because we are living it, because we bear his name. The very way we live our life should illuminate the Father to a world that needs him. Your words and your actions and your deeds, they shine a light upon the person whose name you bear. Or 1 Corinthians 10 31, he says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, like eating and drinking and everything else, anything you do, do it for the glory of God. As you bear his name, have you ever thought about like uh, what you eat and drink, does it glorify God? Usually not, but there's some things, you know, you stop and get some fast food and you're like, this doesn't glorify anything. <laughs> like, God, will you bless this? He's like, nope. <laughs> whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, glorify God, because like, you bear his name. You bear his name in whatever you do. Don't do it in vain. How about this? Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 15. Jesus died for everyone. So that those who receive his new life no longer live for themselves. They've come to the altar, they've been to the covenant, and they leave living for him. Instead, they now live for Christ who died and was raised for them. 
You now bear his name. Verse 16. So we have stopped evaluating other humans from a human point of view. In fact, at one time, we thought of Christ from a human point of view and how differently we know him now, right? And you know, you have friends who view him through a human point of view. He was a good teacher. He's like some hippie. He's like, dude, love everybody. Or he's, he's a wise man. But, but you don't view him through a human terms anymore. You see him for who he is. Verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old, old life is gone. The new life has begun. And just, there's some of you here today who don't need the commandment about, about God's name in vain. All, you need, all you're here for is you need this one thing. You've come in here with shame because of the sin in your life. And you're here already, you're here feeling it and fighting through it. I just want to remind you right here that anyone who belongs to Christ, and that is you've come to him for salvation, it says you're a new person. The old life is gone, the new is begun. So you can walk forth free of your shame and in the love of your father. So for some of you here today, that is all that you needed. Leave this place, and when you do, leave your shame here. Because he doesn't want you to carry that with you. You are a new creation. Leave and walk bearing his name with joy and freedom. So there's life change. Can we keep going to verse 18? All this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task, this job, this mission to reconcile people to him. Reconcile means to bring into right relationship. If you have come to the new covenant, if you are a new creation, if you have had your sins forgiven and you're walking with Jesus and bearing his name, God's giving you a new task and that is to reconcile, bring other people into right relationship with him. You bear his name so that other people can come into right relationship with him. Verse 19. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself and no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. He's given us the message of love God, love people, and Jesus crucified above all things. That's the wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's, what's the word? Come on, we are Christ's, one more time, we are Christ's ambassadors. So, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. Let me just, let me rephrase this. You are Christ's ambassador. You, and God is making his appeal to a lost world through you. We speak for Christ. <laughs> when we plead, come back to God. Come to God. Come, no, Jesus. You speak for Christ when you call people to God. Did you catch this? We are called forth and tasked to go reconcile people to God, to bring them in the right relationship. We've been given this wonderful message to go and share. In verse 20, we're Christ's ambassadors. God's making his appeal through us. You are an ambassador of Jesus. An ambassador, guess what that is? Somebody who comes in the name of somebody else. An ambassador comes in the name of the king. An ambassador is an official representative of an authoritative party. An ambassador in this context means that you are an official represent, representative of God. You represent his name to a world that doesn't know him. God's making his appeal to people around you. How? Through you. So don't bear it in vain. <laughs> an ambassador represents God. But what else does an ambassador do? When an ambassador comes on behalf of the king, the ambassador speaks for God. We speak for Christ when we call people to God. You speak for Jesus when you call people to him. We act on his behalf. We speak on his behalf. We live on his behalf. We bear his name. If you are a follower of Jesus, how you live, how you speak, how you love, how you give, how you serve, how you leave, directly represents Jesus to the world. And you can say, well, I don't, I don't mean to do that. It doesn't matter. That's what's happening. You are representing him. Don't do so in vain. Ooh, there's some conviction there for me. And, and maybe for you this morning, you're like, I didn't even know that. 
Well, this is the glory of God's goodness, is that we can come in here, we can have a new understanding, an illumination, and say, God, forgive me for what I was doing and help me to walk boldly representing your name consciously now because I've been bearing the name and I've been representing him for years and I didn't know it. You represent God. You speak for Jesus when you call people around you in your job and your family and around you to him. Ephesians 4, Paul writing from prison says this, therefore I, a prisoner serving the Lord, I beg you, and he's talking to you, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. And the calling we just talked about, lead a life worthy of your calling for you have been called by God. You have a divine calling on your heart to be an ambassador, to speak for him, to act for him, to bear his name. And what does it look like? He goes on in the verse, always be humble, be gentle, be patient with each other. Make allowances for each other's faults. Did you hear that? Make allowance for somebody's faults because of your love. This is in the Christian context, in the, in the people of God. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Orchard, in about a year, we're going to go through a wild rodeo of election season, and we're going to be tested. Our unity is going to be tested, and there'll be people who leave this church because of it. But here's the deal. We are called to be united. We're going to endorse Jesus Christ in this building, in this body, till, till I'm done. We're endorsing Jesus above all things because we're called to be his ambassador, to bear his name. We're called in humility and gentleness and patience, love, unity, and peace. Those are DNA of the kingdom of heaven. Those are fruits of the spirit. And those who are ambassadors of God, bearing his name, should go forward and live in those ways because that right there is loving people. And if you know our mission, it's love God and love people. Jesus said the entire Bible is summed up in this. Love God and love people. and has everything to do with how we bear his name. We do this so that others can see our good deeds and see the Father. Live as a light, illuminating Jesus to a world that needs him. You are a Christian. You are a little Christ. And how you speak and how you act, it represents him. Whether you like it or not, it just does. Because we bear his name as his people. You are an ambassador of Jesus. And you act on his behalf. And you speak on his behalf. And you call people to him. And that is on mission. And with his message, he's asked to do that. You know, recently on one of my trips to, to New Orleans, I was down there, and whenever I'm on a, I kind of have this view anyway, um, that I'm God's free agent. Wherever I go, God, you can interrupt me at any moment and tell me to go speak to somebody um, or whatever. I'm, I'm a free agent. I'm an ambassador. I'm here. God, tell me what to do. Now, when I'm with my wife or my kids, it's a little different. Uh, my son, you know how many times, you might have seen me at the grocery store, and when my son comes up and does this, Daddy, why do you have to talk to everybody? My daughter, Daddy, do you know everybody everywhere? No, okay. Um, but when I'm by myself, which I was in New Orleans, I'm, I'm on God's time. I got nowhere to be. The wedding's for another day. I got nothing to do but eat some good food. So I looked up in this small town, what's the most authentic Cajun Louisiana meal? I, I want mud still on everything. I wanted it at all. You know what I'm saying? And so I go to three places. I go drive in one. That's not it. Just didn't get a good, you know, that's not it. The third restaurant I went to, I was like, this is the place. Went inside, no silverware styrofoam cups. I mean, the food's the main course. I'm in Louisiana, and, and they bring out this fried catfish and this, this um, crawfish etouffee. Oh, they had crawfish pie down there, a pie made of mud bugs. I mean, it's incredible. So anyway, I'm there. It's free, I, it's free sweet tea. I don't even drink it, but it's free. So you know, there you go. And so while I'm there, it becomes, I'm, it becomes pretty obvious that um, there's, this, there's this couple that are kind of close to me, not really, and we make eye contact, and we kind of, the football game's on, or somebody began talking a little bit and, and have a little conversation, and, and it occurs to me immediately, I'm not here for the food. I didn't go to the third place because of the food. I was led to this place at this time for those two people. Gentleman and his, his wife in their 70s. Elderly couple, and they're there eating, um, as we began talking and having kind of a back and forth, I invited the guy, I mean, he's talking through the restaurant. I go, come on, come on over. So he comes on over and he begins to sit down and talk to me. And then the conversation begins to, 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 to shift and he begins to tell me, he asked me if I can pray for his wife who hasn't looked at me, who's over at the table facing away. She's just kind of, she's just there. He said, will you pray for my wife? He's like, don't go over there right now, but will you pray for her? And he wrote her name down. I said, okay. I said, what am I praying for her about? And he goes, 
she lost her son a year ago in a murder. I go, he has tears in his eyes. I go, that's your son too, isn't it? He goes, yeah. He said, well, he was a, you'll get a kick out of this. He goes, he was an Elvis impersonator. And he was really good. He won a bunch of contests, and that's what he did with his life. And he goes, here, listen to this. And so, you know, I'm in a restaurant, and he's playing a YouTube video. And I'm listening to this Elvis guy sing a song, Wise Men, you know, all this stuff. And, uh, and as I'm sitting there, and I'm, I look, I'm listening to the song, and I'm about to comment on it, but I look across, and I see this, this man, this dad. His eyes are, uh, are unfocused. They're a thousand, thousand miles away. And he's mouthing the words with, with the singer. Just remembering his boy. And um, it became obvious, this is why I'm here. And so I, I talked to him, and I said, I'm a pastor. And he goes, are you serious? I was like, yeah, yeah. I'd be happy to pray for your, for your wife. I'm going to pray for you. He wrote down his son's name. I, I, got, you know, I got this whole story. And um, they went back over. Their food came, and um, I got to eat my food. Cold by that time. I'm not here for the food anyway. So I eat, I privately pay their bill. Before I go, I walk over there. I've been asking the whole time, God, give me the words. And I go over there, and I, I get on my knees next to, in front of the, the mother, the mom. And she hasn't looked at me yet. And I look at her. And I, he's told her I'm a pastor, so she's prepared for a preacher to sit down and start talking to her. And I just did ask God to give me the words to say. And I begin to talk to her about her son, who knew Jesus. And more importantly, Jesus knows him and where he is. And begin to talk about the hope and the knowledge that she'll see him again, as hard as it is with him gone. And I began to, I am there for three days, and I'm at this place to eat some crawfish, but I am not. I am on deployment as an ambassador to speak for God to a lady and a couple who needed to hear from Jesus. And I got to say some things to them and then leave. And I will never see them until heaven. I got to say some things on behalf of their heavenly father who they needed, that they needed to hear. You represent Jesus wherever you go. Everywhere you go, there's somebody who has a need. Maybe it's a word. Maybe it's a giving. Maybe it's just a hug. Maybe it's not, maybe it's just not frowning at them. Maybe it's just treating them like a human. Whatever it is, you are on, you're an ambassador of the most high God. You bear his name and everywhere you go, including after this, when you go to the store and you're in traffic tomorrow and you're at work and those people and those kids and this, that, and the other, you are on mission bearing his name to declare him to those people. So that by the way you speak, act, and talk, and live, they would know him better. So don't bear it in vain. Orchard, we are the bearers of the name of God Almighty. We have been bought by the blood of Jesus upon the cross. We have been marked and you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You have been set apart from this world to go forth and represent his nature to all the nations and all the people. You've been called to live a life worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ. You've been tasked with a mission to go give the message of love God and love people and Jesus through your words and through your deeds. You've been ignited to illuminate Jesus in a world of darkness wherever you go. Orchard, we are the name bearers of the most high God. Don't do it in vain. And maybe you're saying, like, I didn't know this. Well, now you do. You get to bear his name with every word, with every action, as you go out and represent him. You, here's the deal, that because of you, because of you, the reputation of God in your workplace would be elevated. That because of the way you speak and you act and you love, the reputation of Jesus and your friend group would be elevated. That because of the way you live your life, your, your town, your cul-de-sac, your family, wherever you are, the name of Jesus is honored and they know him better because you represent him and you bear his name as his ambassador. So don't do it in vain. Philippians 2 will end here. Therefore, therefore, God elevated Jesus to the highest honor and gave him a name above all names. And that someday, the name of Jesus, every knee's gonna bow. Every, on earth and under the, on, in heaven and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father.
God elevated Jesus in his name above all things. And someday when Jesus is revealed, all, every, every tongue will declare him. But until that day, it is yours that needs to declare him. Because you're his ambassador. Because you bear his name. So that on that final day, on that final day when every knee will bow, that there will be many people who you know now who are in heaven because of the way you lived and you spoke and you took your job seriously as a reconciler between God and people. You bear his name. This week as his ambassador, who in your life do you need to talk to? Maybe it's one of those things on the, on the fly, like me at the restaurant, just on the, on, as you go about your life, it becomes obvious. Step into those sacred moments and be an ambassador. But, who, but more than that, maybe who, do you, who can you think of now? Who do you need to speak to and, rep, and represent God to this week? How about tomorrow when you represent him at work? How do you need to bear his name? Do you need to go to somebody and ask forgiveness for something? Because you have, that's how you bear his name, by being honest, being vulnerable, being real, forgiving, giving grace, asking for grace. Let us be the people who go forth. May our, may our mouths open up and speak of him. May, may we give, may we, may we invite people in here to this place, into God's family. Orchard, you are on this planet to bear his name. Don't do it in vain. It is a big responsibility, but it's a privilege. We get to walk this earth as his sons and daughters with the name of God upon us, the name of Jesus on our lips and the Holy Spirit in our heart as he makes his appeal to other people through us. Father God, I pray for your spirit of great boldness to raise up in this church. I pray for boldness in the orchard as we become a people who realize that we are on mission, that we are not employed, we are deployed by you wherever we are. And that Father, there are, there are those we need to speak to and love on and encourage and call to you and make an appeal for you. Help us to step into this. Give us boldness because the name of Jesus is above all names and we bear the name of Jesus upon us. What a powerful name. And it's in that powerful name of Jesus we pray. Everyone said?
Jesus, we have a testimony. We're going to sing about that now. Let's sing it out. testimony from death to life 
grace rewrote my story I testify by Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified this is my testimony this is my testimony yeah oh, yeah oh, yeah oh, yeah you are not dead he is not done that's great news. That's a good word today. Orchard, let me pray for you. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, your son, the name above all names, that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess someday. I pray, Father, those of us who confess it today, that we would know that we are ambassadors and representatives of the Most High. Father, I pray for a holy boldness in this people, that we would go forth and speak in power, that we listen for your Spirit's guidance wherever we are, and that we, have, we speak to those in need, we give to those in need, we love those. Father, I pray for the people who are going to see tomorrow work, that we would be ambassadors to the places that we go, and the name of Jesus would be made famous in this area because the orchard takes you at your word and bears your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey. I love you. I'll see you next week. Love God. Love people.